Maybe you've never thought about temptation being related to the predictableness of life and security. It is. I hope we'll see that this morning. I'd like for us to look at temptation in terms of these three ideas, which I believe are the obvious questions that we need to think about as we look at our Lord's petition that he gave us to pray. First, I think we need to understand the nature of temptation. While it's familiar to all of us, I'm not sure all of us understand uh, the nature of temptation. In, in the scriptures, there is one Greek word in the New Testament that is used, the word parazo, which is, is used to talk about two very different ideas in a way. Sometimes the word temptation in the New Testament talks about being tested or tried by circumstances. And sometimes it talks very specifically about being enticed to do something evil. And yet it's the very same word. And I need to understand how those two ideas are related and who it is that tempts us. Is it God who tempts us? Is temptation our own weakness? Is there an enemy that tempts us? Those are the ideas that are all addressed in Scripture that it's kind of helpful to put together. But I think in order to understand some of that, we need to look at the bigger picture that permeates all the Scriptures. This picture, that God has created all of us, humankind, in his image, male and female. What it means to be in God's image is not easy to to get a hold of. I, I think it's very obvious since God is a spirit, we, we are not made to look like him physically. That's not what it means. But rather we are persons, spiritual persons, with imagination and intellect and emotions as the scripture tells us God is. But very important to that is the fact that we are made with a choice. We are able to choose. We have a will. Now, if God intended for us to be people who willingly choose to love him, then that means he has to put us in a situation where we can choose not to love him. Otherwise, there's not a free choice involved. The scriptures tell us that when God made Adam and Eve, he put them in a garden, an environment. And the environment had moral choices. You can eat of all the trees, but not this tree. And there was also an adversary. Now, the word Satan simply means adversary. In the Garden of Eden was an adversary, someone who was opposed to God. He made Adam and Eve in his image. They have the freedom to choose to love him. They have the freedom to choose not to love him. And that choice is, is made possible because they are in a moral environment where there are not only choices but also an adversary. And that's where temptation enters in. Now, in James, the portion that was read this morning, I hope you'll have your Bible open to that. It's a kind of an important idea. In James chapter 1 that we read this morning, the word parazo is used in both of these ways. And we see how they relate. In, in verse 2, the word translated trials is the same word that is often translated temptation. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Why does God allow us to be tested so that 
our loyalty and obedience to God might be proven. The wonderful thing about being in love and being married is that my partner has chosen me out of all the other people in the world. There are other choices, but I have been chosen. The testing of our obedience and loyalty to God, James says, brings perseverance, that is, moral doggedness and endurance to our life, and in the end of that is maturity. The mature person is a person who has settled in the commitments of their life and loyal in their word. That's what God wants to produce in all of us. How does he do that? By testing us, by circumstances that give us a choice to trust God or to deny God. Now that's one meaning of it. The other meaning is in verses 12 and 13 where he says, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. When he has stood the test, he'll receive a crown of life. But in verse 13, when we are tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, because God, by his very nature, cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he's dragged away and enticed. And then, Desire conceived gives birth to sin. Isn't that an interesting phrase? It gives birth to sin, and sin when it is full grown gives birth to death. Interesting use of words. Sin gives birth to death. So here the, the word parazo is referring to being enticed to do something evil. The word is clear. God does not tempt us to evil. God has allowed us, by his own choice, to be put in a moral environment where we can choose yes or we can choose no. When we choose no, we open the door to be enticed to evil. Let's talk for a moment about how temptation relates to the future. Now, the future is unpredictable. That's what brings anxiety about it. Think for a moment, what is so unpredictable about the future? Well, there are some things in nature that are unpredictable. The weather is unpredictable. Though we have people who work at that, it's fairly unpredictable. There are cyclones and tornadoes and hurricanes and earthquakes. All kinds of acts of nature that are not part of our choices and that we cannot control and that are unpredictable. But when you look at your future, it is not the acts of nature that are the great area of concern. After all, you can uh, you know, have a storm shelter in your house and you can move away from California if you don't like earthquakes and you can do other, other things to protect yourself logically from those things in nature. The great unpredictableness of the future is the people. You don't know what people are going to do. You don't know what governments are going to do. You don't know how the kings of state and, and the men in power are going to choose. Are they going to fight or negotiate? Is the market going to go up or down? Are people going to buy or sell? Is my friend going to be faithful and loyal? Or is he going to stab me in the back? 
Are the people I'm depending on going to prove faithful? I don't know that. That's the unpredictability of the future. And of course, the thing that makes life have any meaning and hope is that God is faithful. There is one person in the universe who is faithful. The most unthinkable, catastrophic thing that could ever happen would be to find out that God doesn't keep his word. That there is an all-powerful creator who is capricious and unpredictable and doesn't do what he says. If that were true, if we found out that were true, life would be like the prices at Crazy Eddie's insane, wouldn't it? How could you live if all of us are in the control of some person who is completely unpredictable? But at the center of sanity is the idea that the, the God who created us is good. He commits himself to us and he keeps his word. But I want us to understand that the other side of that is that God wants to create in us that same quality of people who keep their word. What gives predictability to our lives is people who keep their word. The most wonderful thing a man can give to his family is not trust funds or large insurance policies, but to know that there's a leader in their family who does what he says he's going to do. That's the greatest security that any of us can ever give to those close to us. And I want us to remember today that communities like Chatham and Madison and Summit can only exist. Whatever community of life is here is because there are people who keep their word. Churches and fellowships like this can only exist because people keep commitments. Families are only there because somebody is faithful. Our whole future See, hinges on this thing. Can I keep my word and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil? Oh God, make us faithful. How can we pray that? Because God's faithful, that's why. Ah, what a great truth. We need to be understanding that temptation is not in itself a negative thing. It is not sinful to be tempted. It is temptation and the trying of my commitment that strengthens my moral character and brings me to maturity so that as God's person, I can be a person who adds security and predictability to the world because God's character is being reflected. We also, however, need to have a realistic view about ourselves and our weakness. We are involved in a spiritual warfare. There is an adversary out there. As we've said, uh, the word Satan means someone opposed. There is someone opposed to God and opposed to God's purposes in us. There's another name for this creature. Evil in the Bible is personified. And the other name that's used is devil. And the word devil means 
deceiver, liar, slanderer. That's the tactics of our enemy. 1 Peter 5, 8, Peter said to the saints of the first century, Be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary, the devil, goes about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Now the first thing we need to understand about our enemy is that our enemy has been conquered. A lot of Christians do not understand that, and they do not live that way. They do not understand that the New Testament message is that at the cross, Jesus Christ stripped Satan of his power. He is a deceiver and a liar. He does not have power over God's people. We read uh, two Sundays in a row now. Here's the third one. I want you to get this passage. Colossians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. He says, He forgave us our sins. He took the document of our wrongs that was against us and was opposed to us and nailed it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he embarrassed them before the world by his triumph at the cross. When Jesus died, our enemy's power was totally broken. There is an adversary who opposes God. He has no power over you and me. His ploy, however, is to deceive people. What does he try to deceive them about? About God's goodness and power? About their own nature and weakness? And he tries to deceive them into believing that he has power that he doesn't have. I know a lot of Christians who are expending great amounts of energy fighting Satan who has already been beaten. And, and he is deceiving them from the life of quiet victory that could be theirs into spending all their time and energies with him. We need to understand about our enemy. A missionary from Africa, uh, from uh, India, helped me understand about that. He said, you know what it means when, when uh, Peter says that Satan is a roaring lion? He said, in India, when, when the lions are going to attack a prey, what they do is that they, they get downwind from the prey and then an old lion who no longer can fight, who has been superannuated, sneaks around to the far side of the prey and roars as loud as he can roar. And the prey, fearful of the roar, not knowing that the lion's too old to fight anymore, run the other way and run right into the pride of lions that are waiting to devour. Peter says, Satan is a roaring lion. He makes a lot of noise, but he's been stripped of his power over you. Believing his lies can enslave you and destroy your freedom. But we, by faith, have the choices in our hands. Now let's be realistic as well about our fallen human nature. That's the other side of what we've got to be realistic about when we talk about temptation. For the scriptures are telling us that, that the part of being a, a child of Adam uh, is that we have a nature in us that uh, has fallen and is in agreement 
with our enemy. Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 to 22 describe uh, what Paul says are, are the qualities that make up our old nature. And someone has summarized it to say, everything I like is illegal, immoral, or fattening. That's kind of what, what's true about our old nature. If God says yes, our old nature says no. And if our enemy says yes, our old nature says yes. I agree. You see, in James, it makes all this clear. It says that uh, when we are tempted, our own evil desire in us, our old nature, says yes to the enemy and allows sin to be conceived in us and to bring forth its fruit, which is death, our spiritual separation from God. But notice verse 2. Here's what we need to understand about life. That is, the critical issue in our life is often the circumstances that face us. When terrible disappointment comes, when I lose my job, when my financial world collapses, my heart begins to say, and where is God now? Does he care? Why doesn't he do something about my situation? Here is where we're being tested. What is being tested? My loyalty and obedience to God. And I'm being tested to see whether I'm going to say, Lord, I don't understand what you're doing now, but I'm going to keep trusting you and be obedient. Or to say, Lord, if you can't handle it, I will. I may have to cut some moral corners and cheat a little bit, but I'm going to take care of myself if you can't. Here's the issue of the circumstances that are testing the metal of my commitment to God. And it is this area of testing, wrongly responded to, that opens the door for the enticement to evil. The story of Job illustrates that all very, very well. I need to be aware there is a powerful enemy in the world, but he's been defeated. I need to be aware there's an enemy inside of me who's in sympathy with my adversary. I need to be aware that God has made commitments so that I can be faithful like he is. That's why this third idea needs to be addressed, and that is I need to talk to God every day about temptation. Let's look at the petition now, which says, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, if we put that petition beside the book of James, among other scriptures, we know for sure that the petition does not mean, Lord, don't lead me and tempt me. Because James says, God is not tempted to evil. He does not tempt any of us. We do not need to pray for God not to tempt us. What is the intent of this petition? It seems very evident from all we've seen in the New Testament. See, the issue is, there is in me a fallen nature that predisposes me to the wrong choice. And the issue for me is that I have got to not trust my old, own nature, but rather to lean upon 
the indwelling presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every day I need to be asking God to lead me instead of leading myself by my own desires. Lord, today I yield for you to lead me so I will not fall into temptation and to count upon you to deliver me from the evil one with all of his devices. The word deliver is a strong word. It's to be lifted out of a dangerous situation which we can fall into and which God can deliver us out of by his choice as we follow him. We make a terrible mistake if we wrestle day after day trying to change our own nature, trying to fight a battle to get strong enough to win. You see, the focus of the Christian life is not on winning the battle of temptation. The focus is on the Lord Jesus Christ, letting him be Lord of our inner life and daily allowing him to lead us, to learn to respond to him and not to our old nature. That's why this prayer is so relevant. Every day I need to talk to God about temptation. Not so much telling him all the things I'm tempted to do and ask for him to give me power, as much as to say, Lord, my weakness is inadequate. And I today give my inner heart to be your dwelling place. And I set my eyes today to follow you and to keep myself at you. So I will not be led in ways that allow me to be tempted. The great promise of 1 Corinthians 10.13, we all need to know, it says this. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. There are no unusual temptations. All temptations are common to all human nature. And God is faithful. There's the touchstone. God is faithful. There's somebody in the universe that keeps his word every time. And he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out that you can stand up under Pretty important subject. The future is hopeless if we're left to ourselves. It's not happy to live in situations where you can't trust anybody. It's not happy to be in a situation where the people that you have to lean on are unpredictable and capricious and weak. Ah, oh, what security when the people you walk with are growing people who are coming to maturity. The answer that a lot of modern people are making today is the way to keep from breaking your word is to never give it. We're facing a generation of people who don't want to make commitments. God's not like that. God makes great commitments and he keeps them. It's not an answer to life to say, well, I'm not going to be committed. We'll live outside marriage. I won't promise to stay here. I'll not commit myself to any job or company. That way I'll never break my word. I'll just be me. 
There's no predictability, security, and future in life with people who don't make commitments. There's a lot to be offered by people who are finding out that God is faithful and he can make me faithful. I want to commend this prayer to you that our Lord taught his disciples. I don't think he gave it for us to repeat it wrote every day. But these are the kind of things that we need to talk to God about every day. We need to glorify his name and worship him. We need to pray about his will and purpose for our lives. We need to talk to God about our dependence for daily bread, not, not just bread to eat, but the bread of our emotional and spiritual needs that can lead us astray if we seek to fulfill them ourselves. We need to talk to God about forgiving other people and being forgiven and about him leading us so that we do not fall into temptation. Let's bow and pray together and be making fresh commitments to God. Father, the issues we have talked about these Sunday mornings are certainly ones that touch the very heartbeat of every one of us. I, I pray that our response will be steps in the right direction. I pray, Father, that uh, right in this quiet moment there may be folk who perhaps are going through very deep waters in their life and are being tested in their commitment and obedience to God. I pray today there may be put down some anchors and steps toward maturity. I pray, Father, as well, as we talked last Sunday about our need to forgive and to be forgiven. I pray that some of these issues may be counseled to our hearts by the Spirit of God in ways that will liberate and set us free. I pray, Father, for new commitments on some of our parts about our prayer life. We, we jump up in the morning and we're obsessed by the day and we go at it and often do not prepare the inner life. I pray that these reminders may start some new disciplines in some of our lives right today. Perhaps a commitment that God will empower us to keep, to talk to him every day about the essentials of our lives in ways that will enable us to be his special person. I pray that you'll answer the gifts of commitment that we bring to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.